Hey listeners, welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy and I am your host for today's episode, but I am excited to say that for the first time in probably several months, the entire team will be on this episode as we talk about lights, camera, agenda, the complexities of Hollywood's culture war. Storytelling has a great power to shape the minds and consciences of people. That's what makes Hollywood such an important player among our cultural institutions. Against the backdrop of an increasingly shrill culture war, Hollywood in general seems to be shaping people's imaginations in a particular direction. On the other hand, there are films like The Sound of Freedom that is going in a different direction. So what are we to make of this? Well, join myself and the team, or the quad as we like to say, as we sit down together to share our thoughts on the way movies are consumed. But right along that topic, I want to point your guys' attention to our latest video series. You've heard us talk about it for a while. You may have seen the clips, or maybe you've already tuned into it, which is awesome. But for those that haven't, we released a series called Branded, a series on identity. Listen, it's no exaggeration that we are currently living in a cultural identity crisis. So this series is a new video resource that we released to help churches both discuss this important topic and provide teaching. The series is divided into three aspects of identity, personal, communal, and spiritual. Each of the three sessions are broken up into a story that gets people thinking and discussing. That is followed by teaching that explores Jesus' sermon on identity found in Matthew 5-7. to So to get this, head to store.apologeticscanada.com and select Branded under Video Resources. One last announcement. It's more of exciting news. The Branded series actually is going to be on Right Now Media in the coming months. Yes, that's right. We just got the opportunity, just got the email back that they want our series on Right Now Media. So if you are a ministry, an individual, or a church, and you love using Right Now Media, stay tuned. Keep your eyes peeled for the Branded series. We're so excited to have it on there. And once again, we thank you guys so much for your continued support. But that's all for me. Let me get out of the way. Let's get over to the podcast. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy, and I am here with the full team today. Andy, Wes, Steve. We're back. The quad. (laughs) The quad is strong. Fellas, how we doing? Doing well. Doing great. Great to be with you guys, man. It's been a while since we've had a quad podcast. Yeah. A quad cast. A quad pod. <laughs> a quad pod. I like that. <laughs> the quad pod. We're going to make shirts. We're going to make shirts. <laughs> yeah, it has been a while. I'm trying to remember the last time all four of us were on a podcast together. I almost feel like it might have been close to ETS. Like, it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. But because there's four of us, and we often talk a lot and too much, we're going to get right into our podcast today. Today, we, we're talking about some of the increasing things we're seeing in Hollywood, in, in movies, just in general, where we're just seeing this constant, almost rewriting of history somewhat, right? Different movies that are being newly depicted again are completely shifting how we originally saw them, and I think some for the better. But in light of some of the most recent movies, which we're going to get into, we're starting to see where agendas that are obvious and have been obvious are really starting to get some steam. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I've been thinking about this lately. You know, Wes and I went, we were in Egypt and and Europe recently. And when we were in Europe, I couldn't help but really feel, and and we traveled quite a bit, but I really felt at this time where I was like, kind of coming away from North America, really just realizing more clearly just how 
intense the culture wars have have gotten. So for example, for me, I grew up during the Cold War at some level. Wow. And I remember a lot of that <laughs> being in the news. You know, it ended in 1991. And I think each of us kind of have our own little episode in history that we remember. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's the, you know, Iraq war or whatever it might be. But I can't help but wonder if my kids are going to look back on this era and be like, man, I lived through the culture wars. Mm. Yeah. Well, one of the things I was saying to you, Andy, when we were in Europe is like, Europe is known as being very, very secular. And I, th I think that that exists, like the kind of removal of religion from that. And the church in Europe is known to be more uh, liberal. I mean, uh, German liberalism kind of spawned that. But I think the difference was when we were over there was that here in North America, the culture seems to be far more progressive. It's not that it's mm. secular. It's that there's this progressive bent that's almost religious in nature that we just didn't necessarily feel there. There was a lot of, say, when we were in Berlin, there was a lot of same-sex hands-holding. We saw that kind of thing. But I think we saw a total of one flag, one pride flag, during Pride Month when we were in Europe. Well, we saw four in total okay. in our in our trip. Yeah. yeah. But I only remember one major flag. Most of them, the other three were small. There was a big one on a wall in Berlin. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. But that's the one I remember. Most and clearly. I think I think I, I might have said this to you, Andy, when we were out there, like, uh, you know, Germany has a history of forcing flags on people. And maybe they were like, ah, well, this time <laughs> around, maybe we'll just uh, give a little bit more freedom of choice. Uh, we're going to we're going to sit this one out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I definitely felt that that there was e even though there was secularism, this kind of progressivism that's just in your face wasn't necessarily mm -hmm. there as opposed to coming back to Toronto mm -hmm. and, you know, seeing the. Yeah flags plastered everywhere right and i guess i'm saying that troy because as we talk today i think hollywood often is the front lines mm -hmm. of the of the culture yeah. war yeah so we've been seeing a lot of this stuff in like hollywood and things like that and not even just hollywood but even our reactions to any kind of movie that comes out maybe even ones that have been made kind of more on an independent basis or low budget kind of films I find that it's not even so much – I mean, there's definitely a certain kind of messaging that you get from movies that we see coming out of Hollywood, but also our reaction as a culture, right, or reactions by certain people to certain kinds of movies I thought was also really telling. So we're going to talk about yeah. all of that today. Yeah. Listeners, it's not lost on us that you know, Sound of Freedom is one of the the, the big topics movie-wise that's coming out. But it's also interesting that right alongside that are shows like Oppenheimer and Barbie. You have essentially three drastically different movies that, that are, have all been garnering a different response, a different conversation. And I just find that we're in such an interesting moment movie-wise, and I know it's not the first time, but I haven't felt like this in a while, where all three movies are pointing to a different conversation in regards to things that, mm -hmm. that people are actually concerned about. For example, you have, and I haven't seen the Barbie movie, but from what I've been told, I was told that the movie itself is good. It was enjoyable. It was fun. But my, my, my friends were saying, they're like, if you're a guy, you'll probably hate this movie because you'll end, you'll end up feeling like trash <laughs> by the time you, you get out of it. And when you watch those kinds of responses to movies or whatever, and then you see how quickly they're grossing, 
isn't it pretty telling guys where people's priorities are? Well, I mean, that's been a big conversation because Sound of Freedom uh, ranked in, what was it, 167 million thus far, beating, oh, like, it beat out Indiana Jones, it beat out the new Transformer movie, yeah. beat out a whole bunch of movies, which I think that alone has garnered a lot of attention. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the sequel kind of industry as well, I think, kind of peters out to yeah. that as well like what what trans what number transformer are we on right now oh dude don't yeah. do that <laughs> <laughs> don't go there <laughs> I'm, side note i'm waiting for transformers and fast and furious saga to to cross over because did you see that trailer <laughs> did you see the fake trailer that that was out there where vin diesel no. like turns around and a car drives up and it turns into a robot there was a, a fake <laughs> one that i saw that someone made but that looked That's pretty amazing. convincing but uh but yeah i mean Arguably, the only one that I think I I would actually be interested in seeing um, is uh, Mission Impossible, because that's the one that the sequel that uh, I don't know. Mission Impossible seems to hold up pretty well. The Indiana Jones one, I think I would have been interested in, but the reviews were just so terrible. Well, I I got a problem, man, when somebody's in their 80s and they're still (laughs) pretending they're off running all these adventures and i'm like i can't get behind although tom cruise could be in his 80s and we would never know this is true (laughs) that guy that guy that guy could have been born in 1804 and uh you know the botox and the power of xenu is keeping him alive so the power of xenu oh my word (laughs) but you guys okay you guys saw sound of freedom that has received a lot of attention For various reasons, uh, we tried convincing Wes to go see Barbie. I don't think did you, you end know up what? Doing Listen, that? now we're gonna go. Our anniversary is this week, <laughs> and we're like, uh, we're gonna go to a movie on our anniversary. Do we really want to do the Barbie movie? And so <laughs> we ended up not. We, we ended up not being able to get a babysitter until tonight, anyways. So it would have been too late either way. But no, I yeah, did not. Uh, I did not suffer through the Barbie movie as of yet. <laughs> Uh, 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 we don't know if it was you were gonna suffer you and, might have and, enjoyed it oh, and we please. and we say that to wes because wes is often the one who you know if there is something that's kind of breaking on social media but we're like uh eh, not sure we want to really watch this video or read that newspaper article you, often wes is the one who takes one for the team and goes through all that stuff so uh the rest of us don't have to praise god i'll, I'll suffer through it yeah, my soul. Although now that I think about it, it. <laughs> who begged you? My soul. <laughs> your soul. Your soul. Right. You had a. Uh, you had the debate with the angel and the devil on your shoulder. Um, although now that I think about it, on this topic, the last movie that I actually went and saw in theaters was the remake of Aladdin. So it was actually related to the kind of Disney recastings that we're yeah. talking about. But honestly. I haven't been to a movie in ages. Well, tell me your guys' impressions of Sound of Freedom. Well, uh, I I thought it was. Um, I mean, you can't tell it's a low budget movie, but I thought it. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought uh, it was pretty well done, all things considered, and you know, like it, it deals with a very touchy subject, and so uh, some people, I I can see why some people just don't want to go see it even though this is a cause that they care about 
Uh, thankfully, there wasn't anything graphic in it. And for those of us who have been living under a rock and not don't know what Sound of Freedom deals with, it deals with basically child trafficking, sex trafficking, and all those kinds of things. And it starts off with, uh, it's based on a uh, true story uh, about this guy, Tim Ballard, who worked with, uh, who used to work with the Homeland Security side of things. And, and he would actually literally go rescue children. And it's based on his story. And it starts off with this guy doing his work, which a lot of it involves actually watching the child exploitation material, audiovisual material, and making a detailed report. And that's the sort of thing that would crush his soul, right? Thankfully, in the movie, you don't see anything like super graphic where the children are actually like abused in a graphic way, but everything is implied. And in some ways I found that it was kind of, in some ways it's kind of worse because your imagination fills it in. And it can, I, we literally had my wife and I, we went to see it together and we literally had some people walk out because they couldn't handle all the, the kind of the insinuation that was going on. I'd, I'd agree with you, Steve. This movie was different because by the time I got to it, there was so much out about it that I felt like going in, I wasn't going in completely blind, mm -hmm. which like another movie, if you're going, you know, opening day on the Friday, you have no idea exactly what you're going to go through apart from what the trailer may be portraying. Mm -hmm. But I had already received all the social narratives around it. My yeah. mom is like, you got to see it. My sister's like, you got to see it. And they had their opinions on it. But yeah. as I was, going into the movie right off the jump, they set the tone very quickly about how this movie is going to go, how you're going to feel emotionally. Yeah. And I had a hard time for sure. Within the first five, 10 minutes, I was ready to squabble. I was ready to, I was ready to fight somebody yeah. <laughs> just as a, so what, what do you mean by that? Troy, like it, it was really upsetting. It's a dad. Yeah. It's, it's upsetting and sobering, right? Because I think sometimes we forget that this is somebody's reality, you know, yeah. child trafficking, families in these poor countries. And the reason it hit, it hit close to me, it's been out for a while, so spoiler alert. The, the, the dad brings his, his, this person sees his daughter who's a singer, and he wants to give her this opportunity to be a better singer, to go, to go professional in this talent agent sees his daughter and is like she's amazing and meets with the dad and they have all these conversations and the daughter's super excited like daddy i love to sing i'm gonna get this opportunity to go in this competition and i'm gonna join this like talent squad and, and or whatever. she's like what nine ten she's right? and nine maybe yeah nine ten and i just see the excitement of the father because he's in a poor country he wants nothing more and it's a single dad he wants nothing more than for his daughter to go and experience something new. And it turns out that that, that lady who, you know, is this talent scout is part of the, the whole mess. And just as a father who's like, man, I saw my daughter who loves to sing. Yeah. I saw my kids who love music. And so it hit really close. But as the movie went on, it was interesting seeing the motivation it felt a little different than Shotgun Preacher. I don't know if you guys remember that one, where that one was, oh, this is going to be a shoot 'em up like, and it's intentionally going to be raw and edgy in, like, the He-Man way, where this, mm -hmm. they, there really was this fathering heart to it, mm -hmm. which is why I could, I could get the sense of, like, 
okay, this feels like there are genuine goals behind this one. Yeah. As in, we want you to raise, you know, we're trying to raise this awareness. We're trying to make it uncomfortable. We're trying to put the pressure on Hollywood. Yeah. And uh, I believe it, I believe it did its job to be completely honest. Yeah. And I think that movie, I think you're right, Troy. It did have a lot of, it came at it from a very fatherly perspective. I mean, yeah. you have the, you see this father who just lost their two children and, and, and the main character uh, played by Jim Caviezel um, of the Passion of Christ fame. Uh, he plays Tim Ballard, and he is also a father to then yeah. six children, right? And for him to actually, it basically costs him his job to go save this kid this from Honduras, to basically chase her down to Colombia. Because there's that one scene where the father who lost um his children says if you you're a father like how would, would you, you do like to yeah, yeah go into your daughter's bedroom and see an empty bed every night and that hits yeah. like hard now i i think it's important though that like i appreciate you guys you know giving us the storyline and all that and and i think one of the things though that that's key here that you guys are touching on is this is more than just a storyline there's a reality here right, right? uh of, of trafficking but in the when you it's interesting though right when you throw this movie into the culture war that that yeah. we live in exactly. daily it's interesting to see the backlash that, that this movie receives right instead of uh hollywood getting behind it you know that uh it's it's a it's a fight and so it's interesting to see kind of how this mm -hmm. uh played out so yeah. one you know there's a couple things that happened here that i think is worth talking about one of the things that's that's worth talking about is that you know Hollywood pushed back, and I saw a lot of these different interviews saying, "Oh, that's not the reality," you know, sort of thing, which was yeah. interesting because I, I have a friend that, that we've actually had on the show that's a, a former FBI agent, and I was talking with him recently, uh, Chris, and I just said, "Hey, you know, Chris, you you've done this sort of stuff. You know about what's going on out there. Is this this is this reality?" And he's like. He's like, well, first of all, the reality is broad of what's going on out here. He goes, but one of the things that he said that I thought was so interesting is, is he said that there's actually a far more aggressive nature to it than the movie even portrays that's happening online. Mm -hmm. That they're constantly trying to crack down on. But like, what? So, what are your guys' thoughts on that? That all the negative pushback yeah. that the movie gets. I re still remember out of all the reviews, this one headline really. It got seared into my consciousness, if you will, because of the sheer vitriol. And, and the heading read, Sound of Freedom is a movie for conservative dads with brainworms. Right? Yeah. You, you, if you've been kind of out there looking wow. at reviews, you might have seen that. And I can understand if you're looking at a movie going, okay, that was terrible acting or it's low budget or, you know, like the character development is lacking all that kind of stuff this one thing but then to actually attack you know in a very vitriolic way the people who would actually go see it, it i i just couldn't put the two and two together right what what is this reaction where is it coming from it was interesting to me andy on on your question how the sound of freedom and people's responses to it in the negativity got swept into the lgbtq conversation and that right. to me was just mm -hmm. a hijacking 
And it that that speaks to what we're talking about today is how film and movies will just hijack moments and periods in time that cause people to just become desensitized. Okay, let me let me just explain that for people. Let me let me just make that logical jump. It takes a lot these days, in, yeah. you know, to shock you with what yeah. we see. But so what? One of the pushbacks that was happening from the film is people saying, "Well, actually, a lot of trafficking happens." You know, that's different from this movie because in the movie you've got a dad, right, that that's out there to to save his daughter. But the reality is that a lot of trafficking happens as parents mm-hmm. give their kids up into trafficking or sell their kids yeah. into trafficking. Uh, and my time abroad in the work that I've done, uh, uh, that's what I've seen. Mm-hmm. That That's the reality that's that's going on out there. Uh, but that doesn't diminish this 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 movie right. or that this yeah. is actually true as well. Uh, if anything, it's just saying that this is deeper and worse yeah. that, that we need to think about. Now here's where it hijacked. And this was just uh, outlandish as far as I'm concerned. Then, then the, the interviewers were saying, well, yeah. And, and these parents are selling their kids into the sex trade because their kids have come out as LGBTQ, whatever. Mm-hmm. And now they've taken this, hijacked it, and spun this counter narrative that it's just that's foolishness. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. well, it's activism, but it's the wrong activism. Like, uh, in some ways, I, I wonder if our society has decided that there are certain issues that warrant activism and warrant these types of responses. And because something like the sound of freedom and sex trafficking is so related to issues like pornography and um, just kind of a different moral awareness as it comes to sexual ethics, that it's not within the nice tidy box of what kind of the quote unquote social justice ideas we're allowed to say, uh, make movies about or protest about. One of the things I thought was interesting about Sound of Freedom, I don't know if you guys know this, but one of the pushbacks about why it's received so much that it's made so much money is because you can pay it forward. Uh, you can buy mm-hmm. tickets yep. for other people. Uh, and, yep. and that's now becoming an interesting aspect of going to the movies where how much money a movie makes, how many people see it is now part of the culture war. It's now part yep. of, Oh, our, our side won that movie. Well, Sort yeah, of, and and I think Hollywood it. is in crisis in general. Like the with the with the strike right now, 100%. like I think there's this huge issue going on with the fact that the paradigm has shifted. People aren't going to the movies like they used to. People are streaming, but the streaming platforms aren't making as much money as they used to because they're putting entire seasons out all at once. People are binging them, and they can't carry the audience from week to week and so the writers are frustrated with that the actors are frustrated with that on that note though wes i'd also say that it seems deeper to me that this is my take like critique it guys but i would say people are so tired of the culture wars that they've kind of given up on movies they've given up on watching tv and stuff like they used to go to that to get entertained and now from my perspective it's so much propaganda that I, I just I'm not even interested in going to the movies anymore. I don't even I yeah. rarely watch it, things on TV at all. It used to be escapism. Yeah, it used to be escapism, as an, and it's not anymore. To the same degree, I should say there there still are those you know the Stranger Things and that that are just kind of fun. Those exist, 
The rare. But uh, I think but even right, Stranger Andy. Things, but even Stranger Things to keep their audience, they got dark. They got they, they got That's real true. real dark. I didn't even end up finishing it. What I have seen is that the, we are we are experiencing the the sobering of the post pandemic entertainment world. We came out of the yeah. pandemic. Man, let's get back to the movies. Let's get back to music. Let's get back to sports. Let's get back to gathering together. And yeah. it was like a high. Everyone was just taking it. Yes, yes, I need it because I missed it. How many conversations did we have like that? Man, I miss this. I miss this so much. People stuffed themselves, oversaturated themselves, and now people are just, we've gotten fat with entertainment. And now we're, we're, we're on this huge hangover where we're like, oh, man, too much. Yeah. Too much media, too much political agenda, too, too many stories being spun. I, I just yeah. now we've become recluse again and we're back to, mm -hmm. OK, I'm just going to sit at home in my streaming platform because I don't know if I can stomach that. Yeah. And I think um, to pick up on what Andy was saying earlier, too, I have a these days I have a general sort of crisis of trust in the movies that come out because mm -hmm. i'm just like i have no idea what i'm gonna be preached no at idea. with right because i mean yeah you can watch the trailers you can watch whatever but then you go and watch a movie how many times did people have like the movies have these agenda that sprung on you and then you really sit there being preached at uh, steve on that note have you ever have you ever watched a movie and you've got your phone in your hand because you're you're searching as you're watching i watched the the elvis doc like elvis movie and I was I was googling while I'm watching because the movie shows Elvis as a social justice warrior. Yeah, huh? and you're like, never heard yeah, that before. Did I, did right. I miss this? Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> right? Yeah, and so you're like, it's just an immediate distrust. 100. percent Right now, what we see in this culture is this push towards normalizing pedophilia, so that we don't call them pedophiles anymore. What do we call them? Minor attracted persons, right? And then you, and what he sees also is these things like, you know, uh, drag queen story hour for kids and all kinds of um, really kind of sexually sort of explicit things that are happening at pride parades and those kinds of things, all in view of children, right? And, and, mm -hmm. and so what he sees is, you know, all of this is, they're not disconnected. Let's let's put it that way, right? If this is all happening in yeah. a context, there's a certain and so what I see in all of this is we have a couple of different impulses that are happening in our culture right now, where one is very much carrying on that that sort of tradition, if you can even call it that, of the sexual revolution, of this sort of, you know, making sex basically breaking down just about every barrier around sex and sexuality, maybe with the exception of that that sacrosanct, you know, the holy cow of the sacred cow of this movement, which is consent. But outside of that, right, you can so that that's why you see this sort of push towards lowering even, you know, the age of consent and all of that stuff. So all of this is happening together. And I see those two impulses. The the other impulse being people pushing back against it. Here's a question for you guys, because this is kind of off the topic of The Sound of Freedom, but related to the topic of Hollywood and movies, and particularly what we were framing at the beginning with the the reworking of classic, say, Disney movies. There's been the announcement of the upcoming Snow White, and, mm -hmm. you know, Snow White is not particularly white. The actress is Hispanic. 
Uh, she's they've been very clear that you know she's not going to be fawning over a prince. Uh, it's, it's not, not seven dwarves. It's seven anymore. magical people. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, what what would we say to something like, well, you know, these are old, you know, mostly German and French fairy tales, anyways, that were adapted for Disney to begin with. Because if you read Grimm's fairy tales, they're pretty gruesome. Mm-hmm. like uh the little mermaid uh, dies and ends up being seafoam yeah. like that's yeah. that's the end of the story right and mm-hmm. so like th- they've been adapted already to be more palatable to society what's to say that there's nothing wrong with just the continual ad- adaptation within the 21st century audience and see this is where i wrestle personally and had wrestled for a long time is because when you start thinking about things like representation and how certain cultures have historically been represented in Hollywood, minorities, unless they were a lead character, two things would happen. So if you watch Aladdin, Aladdin has very Eurocentric features, like from the original Disney, very Eurocentric features. And, you know, he's made to look more attractive because he's the main character, but in Agrabah. But then you look at all the locals, and their features are embellished. You know, they, ha- they have big noses. Their faces are more plump. And very much the same thing. We, people were talking about, for example, Tiana, the, 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 the black princess from Princess and the Frog. And the culture that Tiana comes from is this dark voodoo culture. And a lot of people were disappointed. They're like, really? Out of all of our, the things in our culture to make the first black princess, you pick a voodoo-based woman from the South, you know. And, and so when I look at, Hollywood's representation and how you're seeing more of that intermixed where you can now have a black little mermaid because it was never actually written that her skin color in the originals that it mattered. I I get excited because now my daughter gets to see a wide range of faces as the protagonist, the hero, and my son gets to see different different protagonists as far as color and things go. But where I, I gain issue is when the uh, that it can't just be that 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 then an agenda is attached to it hey it's not 1937 anymore she's not gonna be waiting for her prince charming and and i'm like i totally get that okay i i understand what you're trying to to say but i also hear what you're saying on another side of things rather than a celebration of growth you actually felt the need that you needed to let this be the driving point of your movie and i think it it steals away from what we could just see, much like Steve was saying earlier, when you give public room for opinion, when you give public room to somewhat interpret what they see is going on rather than just saying it, sometimes that's just as powerful. Yeah. And in all of this, there is also this impulse of, well, I'm using that word a lot today, but uh, this impulse of, you know, relativism, right? In, In a sense, what you're doing is rather than holding on to any sort of objective truth, it's your narrative. And it's just mm-hmm. all you have are particular narratives and whoever has the loudest voice just wins. And so what you want to do is you just want to put, and so what I see is Hollywood doing something along those lines where they, they are pushing a, a certain particular narrative through the medium that they have. Um, and so that will then eventually become 
reality, right, to anybody who will accept their narrative, that sort of thing. Let me take it just to another level, though, a little deeper level, because Hollywood has the ability to do something that is straight out of the playbook of 1984, and that is to go back and to edit. And we're seeing this happening more and more. We're seeing it happening with movies. And uh, Steven Spielberg has been pretty outspoken lately about uh, edits that he made to E.T., where in the later versions where he's like, man, I I shouldn't have done that. Uh, For example, they they were able to digitally take out the guns and put in walkie-talkies, things like that. And we're seeing that where where things are are able to go back and to change it. And it's interesting, by the way, if you if you when you watch the movies from the eighties and nineties, the stuff you see in there, you're like, wow, I would never fly, never fly in in today's yeah. today's culture. That hasn't aged well. Well, I but that's read- where Hollywood is always yeah. interesting, by the way, where they're the ones with just a history of transgressions, but yet they're the ones that are the moral police at the same time. And you're like, okay, so you want it both ways. But I, I want to yeah. throw this to you, Troy, because this is where this has been a big touch point with different books, for example, in genres such, such as Mark Twain's uh, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, where you've got, you know, 219 uses of the N-word as an example. And so people want to go back, though, and, and scrub uh you know, that, that out of the past. And one of the things that, that I keep, you know, thinking about is, can we not just let the past be the past and learn from it as we move forward? I do find it interesting. And I actually, I don't even say just sheer imaginatory laziness <laughs> where we feel like we have we'll to keep really retelling stories. And it's like, well, if you don't like that story from our past, Stop scrubbing it, learn from it, and make up a new story. But anyway, Troy, how are you wrestling with that? So it's interesting that you point that out because I remember reading some of these books in school um, and having my teachers, some say the, the word because it's in the book and others not. But again, this is what was challenging for me as a young kid is I was, the, I was 100% the minority there. Like there was not a lot of black kids in, in my school, let alone in my class <laughs> in Saskatchewan in the nineties. Like, you know, I was giving people context. I was one of the first, if not the first kid adopted from Jamaica in all of Saskatchewan like that. And I'm not, I'm not as old as you, that may make me sound <laughs> okay to give you guys. But it's interesting. You, you say that Andy, because for example, I don't know if you guys have, you still have Disney plus, but, Disney has a disclaimer at the beginning of the aristocrats that I find really intriguing because just as you're saying, you know, Disney are the ones who, you know, are the perpetrators, but then they also get to be the ones to determine how we move forward. So reading this disclaimer for all of you who have not seen this or don't have Disney plus, it says this program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now. Rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. Disney is committed to creating stories with inspirational and aspirational themes that reflect the rich diversity of the human experience around the globe. To learn more about how stories have impacted society, visit www.disney.com slash stories matter. It's that is so well written. 
<laughs> for them to essentially say, we're going to spin this the way we want to. And if we we spent way too much money pulling all these movies out of the vault to not let them be available anymore. Yeah, we, we don't want to lose any revenue from you wanting to watch the movie. So actually, that is the be- that's at the beginning of Aladdin on Disney Plus, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was thinking about this, Andy, uh, because uh, going back to when we were in Europe, we when we were in Berlin, we visited the Soviet War Memorial. And on uh, one of the walking tours we did, one of the things that really stuck out to me was that the tour guide specifically said that there's been some controversy about the Soviet War Memorial because of the atrocities that were basically done after the quote-unquote liberation of Berlin by the Soviets and whether they should take it down or not. And he said, you know, we've left it up with even the inscription that says that the the Soviet Union took the people of Germany out of poverty and oppression and I mean, arguably put them back into a different version of poverty and oppression. He said they've left it in to remember what has happened and what can happen. And I thought that was interesting because of all the conversations of taking down statues. And I actually think there might be precedents to take down statues yeah. of certain individuals and certain things. Um, I'm not a fan in general of taking down statues entirely. I'm not but a I fan think, of pretty I think there's statues, actually but... a reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it goes both ways, right? That's but Old I Testament, think... baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, but 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 I did think that was interesting for him to say that, you know, they've purposely decided not to remove the memorial and make it part of their heritage to learn from it. So I have a quick question for Andy West on this, because what, you, what you're touching on makes me immediately think of places like Auschwitz. Why isn't Auschwitz torn apart? Yeah. And is the money for all the people that are going to go and visit this place? I don't know if you guys had to pay to go, but the revenue like are they selling merch in the gift shop like yeah my que- my question for that is if we're so quick to tear down these statues of um former slave owners or people that were related to just these heinous crimes historically why is it that something like auschwitz gets to stand and we're seemingly okay with it when that is such a symbol of a mass genocide yeah, I'll let Andy speak to Auschwitz. I, I will um, note that we did see an example of the complete opposite, where we went to where Hitler's bunker was, and it was a parking lot. Yeah. And they specifically said, there is nothing, there is no remembrance, There's other than there was a sign that basically told you what the bunker looked like at one point. But they're like, we do not want this to be a pilgrimage site for neo-Nazis, so we just paved it over and we made it a parking lot. And, and there's something to be said to that, isn't there, Wes, where... Where you're like, you know what, we are going to scrub this uh, because this individual and what he did was so heinous. He doesn't get any, uh, you know, we don't need yeah. any more memorial of what he's done uh, to remember. Yeah. But this is my, this is what you're bringing up, Troy, is exactly my point. I, I would lean towards not removing the 219 N-words from Huckleberry Finn. You know, I, I would say if you're going to assign that reading to your class, uh, then you need to be ready to have the conversation, right? That, that and, and and instead of trying to pretend like that didn't happen, like like yeah. you know we're going to need to talk about it. And so I actually can't help but wonder if you know I think one of the things that we're wrestling with within this culture war is on the one hand you got people that are just trying to make money. They're trying to make money off of yep. Mark Twain's books. They're trying to make money off of Rodol's books, right? Yeah, I mean he's big time in the the news these days with a lot of the controversy in his books, Charlie and the Chocolate Chocolate Factory and and the like. 
And it's like, okay, you got people just trying to make money on him. And then at the same time, you've got realities of what happened. And so one of my things, say Auschwitz, for example, if you got Auschwitz up and you got it up because you're trying to make money, there's a problem here. Auschwitz needs to stay yeah. up, not because you're trying to make money. And by the way, it, it is free to go uh, to Auschwitz. Okay. But you are, okay. you are remembering what happened so that we don't repeat the past and that we can learn from it. But this is the problem with the messiness of, of, of uh, the culture that we live in, in currently. And I think there's a certain level of admiration that we can have for that, right? Where, where Germany actually in this sort of the international global stage, they command a lot of international respect precisely because they've done something like that where they actually don't erase their history. Um, and I've mentioned yeah. this before. Uh, Japan, on the other hand, doesn't command the same level of respect because I, I think it's a lot of it is because of the honor shame dynamic that you have in Japan, where if anything, they'll try to change, for example, you know, middle school history curriculum to make to, to downplay their role in their colonialism, for example. Uh, they'll say the comfort women, so basically women who were taken as sex slaves to Manchuria, where you know Japan was waging a war against China. They'll say they, they were basically tricked, duped, and forced into all of that. Uh, a lot of them were prisoners of wars and all that too. Um, but in the history book, for example, they'll say, "Oh, they were highly encouraged to go." You know that sort of a thing. Um, mm. And so. So I think for me, given my background and everything, I I have a healthy amount of respect, I think, for something like what Germany has done, where they're like, okay, we're not going to take this down. We're going to remember what we've done so that it doesn't happen again. Troy, would you would you agree with the comments on Huck Finn? What, what would be your opinion on it? I'm, I'm torn. Um, definitely torn because... It's a capsule into a social narrative. When a person asks the question of how do we get here, do we have the resources to show them? Do we have the content that can that kind of keeps a paper trail of culture, right? When we're when you're talking about things like the woke agenda, I've had moments where I'm like, man, I feel like we're wearing this word out because what how you're describing woke and how they're describing woke is actually completely different. Because this person seems to actually have a, a real concern. I'm not, and I'm generally not even picking the left or the right. I'm just saying this individual has a genuine concern for the portrayal of said people group and they want something done about it. Whereas this person sees woke as anyone who has an issue with somebody being mistreated, right? And so I'm, I'm torn with things like this because what can very quickly happen is is when you you see a racial tension just start to come to the surface so quickly. And then it's the oftentimes the person who has been historically the oppressed saying, well, we want the power to decide what happens with this because we were the oppressed ones. But th this is the same reason why we have a justice system, because there are people who have had some traumatic and horrible things happen to them where if the the judge were to say, hey, what do you want to happen to this person? What do you believe the sentence is on this person? What do you think should? And that was the way our justice was ruled. It'd be ruled from emotion. Troy, on that note, though, the, this is an interesting point, say, if you take Snow White and the new retelling, where it's not Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. What is it? Snow White and the... 
Seven magical what, people. Yeah, the seven what? Right. Right. Magical individuals. Oh, yeah, that's what they're called, like magical <laughs> individuals. But what I found interesting is who was boycotting and upset about the film? Those that, you know, would be dwarfs, right? Those that would be little people. They're like, hey, yeah. like that was actually a job for us. We actually liked that we were a part of that story. And now, yeah. and now you've taken it from us because your interpretation of the culture yeah. war of wokeism, however you want yeah. to define it. Uh, there goes that representation, right? Right. I, I, it's like the, it's the battle of Aunt Jemima. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sore spot for it's, me, man. <laughs> it, oh, because I was talking to some people, not to, to give people context. Aunt Jemima is a famous syrup with a sweet lady on the front, the sweet old lady from the South on the front of the bottle of syrup. Synonymous I love with Aunt pancakes Jemima. as far as it, I'm concerned. Yep. I eat it exclusively in this house. <laughs> now, woke culture. This is where I say woke culture. Because if you asked the majority, and I want to be very clear, the majority of people, black people, they're like, hey, do you think Aunt Jemima should be off the bottle? They're like, are you kidding me? Don't take her from us. Don't take her <laughs> Don't from take us. That's my auntie. I'm convinced she's a real person. Anyways, they got rid of Aunt Jemima. But then they replaced it with Pearl Milling Co. And oh. if I if that doesn't sound like a plantation, <laughs> then I don't know what does. <laughs> you look at the cover of the bottle. I'm like, this is a plantation. We replaced Aunt Jemima with a plantation and said, this has got to be better. So, but I, I just can I just it, note that we've a, gone from Sound of Freedom to Aunt Jemima. <laughs> <laughs> so this this is what I was going to say. I was going to say, okay, we've our listener has been uplifted. We've talked about. Uh, the Holocaust, censorship, <laughs> uh, transatlantic slave trade. We're on, we're on, we've set a good tone for this. So as we as we wrap this up, here's my question: How do we take all of these this interconnected web that we've spun? Uh, that's might be a little bit depressing. And <laughs> for the listener, how how do they understand this and think about these topics Christianly? What do we want them to take away from the conversation? Uh, here, here's one thing I would say <clears throat> that we've got to take away from the conversation, and this is particularly as parents. So we started this even talking about you know this father fighting for his child. One of the things that I've really been convicted on as a father is the importance of not running from culture, not trying to hide from the culture war and all that's going on, but to help my kid learn to walk in it, to be able to understand it, see it, to be able to discuss it with him. It's kind of like you know you can you can try to shelter your child as much as possible, but it, you, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. You're going to have to engage with what's going on. And that, I think that's one of the big takeaways. And that's going to look different in each of these different contexts. They're all unique. 100%. Yeah. And you guys do that yeah. weekly uh, question night in your home, don't you, Andy? Yeah. So we regularly, uh, after dinner uh, at the Steiger House, talk on what's going on, what they've seen. Mm -hmm. uh, and by the way, just a prime example. My son was reading a book uh, on the, well this summer, and we were out camping. And he said, "Hey, Dad, I was reading this in this book, and they brought up this, this, and this." And he's saying, "Why do you think the author would do that? Like, what's the spin here? Do you think that there's any propaganda going on in that?" And it was an interesting moment where we had this great conversation. I said, "You know what, Tristan? I I don't think that there was a propaganda thing in there. I think that's just that author and the, their telling of uh, of that." But what a great question, right? Those are the mm -hmm. those yeah. are the sorts of conversations we got. We have to have, unfortunately. 
I, I would say the same. I think it we're reiterating it. And I know some people this may not sound like enough to say, hey, you we need to start having conversations and start in your home. Our kids' perspective on something is going to be very different than ours. And so I think it's not for us to start running around trying to look for the devil behind every single bush. Ultimately, for me, what it comes down to is what is your prayer life like? I know that may sound cliche at the end, like, oh, just, but this is really what it comes down to. I think there are times and moments in, in history and in culture where we've even seen biblically where people had to commit their time and life to prayer. You know, they were interceding on behalf of their nation. They were interceding on behalf of their leaders and were willing to receive whatever consequences came from that. You look at the book of Daniel. Mm -hmm. He was interceding. I will not stop praying. And I think yeah. that's really important for us and our families. And to just piggyback off of what you guys are saying, Andy and Troy, I, this is really a reminder for myself um, that when we talk on these issues, we should intentionally place whatever it is that we're talking about in that grand scheme of things, our Christian meta-narrative, the story of the world with creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, right? So how does, for example, Sound of Freedom fit into that grand scheme of things, right? And I think that's one key thing, because, I mean, we can talk about an issue as an issue in and of itself, but how can we talk about this with our children in such a way that they can always keep that broad story of reality into perspective so that we we understand this issue against that context and background. Yeah. It's interesting that uh, I was talking with a youth pastor recently, and he was saying one of the things that he's just been noticing with the young people, uh, particularly in the last couple of years, is just a polarization where you've got people mm. just going to the right and to the left. And, and it's just division, division, division. And I, I think, man, as Christians, we we really got to uh, embrace what, is, what does it look like to live in the midst of this culture war as we seek to be unified yeah. and, and not divided against each other. Uh, you know, yeah. as, as we're united in Christ, man, it's a, it's a real challenge. It almost seems like it's division or it's apathy. Yeah. And the gospel, the gospel is a solution to both those problems, yep. to going far right or far left or being completely apathetic about questions that really do have important answers. Yeah. Well, thank you listeners so much for tuning into the AC podcast. This is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. It is always exciting when we have opportunities to get all four of us together and uh, you get to hear all of our brains spill <laughs> all of the things that we're thinking about all at once. But uh, make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. Subscribe to us on YouTube and uh, pay attention to our events page. We got a lot of things coming up. Apologeticscanada.com slash events. Things that you can sign up for. Things that are coming up very, very quickly. And we're constantly updating because we love to stay active. But until next time, you know the drill. Love God. Love people. Bye for now. Podcast. Podcast.